Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, it's Molly McAleer, and you are listening to Season 4 of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. Susan, thank you so much for being here for Manson's Lost Girls. You like work in schools. We're not going like, to go too much further past that. But at first, I really wanted you to do like a school movie, right? I know. But the more I thought about it, I was like, dog, like this isn't like Susan's like a fucking like you work like you're in, um, what do they call it? Like an EMT or something like some like some sort of career that I'm not going to get most people and also people could get hurt in a weird way if like you dug too deep into that shit mentally and I just I'm glad we picked this because I feel like I feel like this is just better it seems like it was meant to be I'm really into it and I was obsessed my deal is I just get really horned up for bad high school kids. Like, it's my, that's like my obsession. And I guess in a weird way, that's what this movie is. It's also, um, we were doing a lot of like true stories at the beginning of the season. I tried to derail that a little bit. Wasn't very good at it. But this is like the true story for me out of all the Lifetime movies that we've done so far. Besides Jodi Arias, of course. Because like, it's so famous. It's very true, and it is about kids. That's what's crazy. They're I know. Like 16. I know, and that was one thing that kept, like... So, if you guys don't know, this is about the Manson family. We'll get into a little bit more of that, but obviously, I'm sure you guys all know about Charles Manson. If you don't, pause the podcast right here and do a quick Wikipedia, because <laughs> I don't think we'd be able to, like, shade in every nuance of that, but I will do my best to, like sort of summarize some things that I know. Lifetime also did a little bit of like smushing stuff together in this too. And the timeline was a little bit inaccurate, it felt. But I've always had like a... Hmm, it's so controversial. And I'm going to say it's like Jodi Arias. I've always had a soft spot for most of these girls. Leslie, I feel like, was pure evil. But for the most part, I feel like most of these girls, I've, I have a soft spot for them. They were teenagers on drugs with a charming cult leader. And then like, you know, like people like Leslie, an enforcer. Um, I think you're right. They were very young. It's so funny that you're saying that Leslie is the one that you think is evil. I think Susan is the more evil one. Well, wait a minute. I might actually not be able to tell the difference between Susan and Leslie because I also will say that this movie had like the fatal flaw for a lot of movies, which is that they cast a lot of girls who looked alike. They did. You're right. And that was a problem. That's why I had to keep going back and being like, wait, which one was Leslie? Um, Okay. That is Kelsey Grammer's daughter, Greer Grammer. Oh, no way. With with, uh, Camille or... A first wife or like... Yes, with Camille. Yeah. Oh, shit. I think they're, that's their adopted daughter. 
Oh, so Eden Brolin is the one. So she's the one who played Susan. And I think she's the enforcer. Yeah. Yeah. Susan's the one I was talking about, too. Which one was Leslie? Leslie was Greer Grammer. Barely recognize her. But I feel like Leslie was the one that was all over the book as the one that was like the roughest. Susan's dead. Yeah. Susan died of a brain tumor. Um, She's like the only one, by the way. Like most of these women are still in prison. They're in prison and they're um, actually I was looking last night and they're the one they're the longest um, prison sentences for women like they they've been in prison the longest for women in California. Yeah. And I and I definitely have like a mm, I have a. I have a bad habit of like sympathizing with the perpetrator, the criminal, whatever. In these cases, I really do. Like I fall on the wrong side of the law and history consistently when it comes to, well, maybe not history, but I fall on the wrong side of that for a lot of things where it's like, yo, like I'm going to give these like teenagers who are doing drugs with a grown like world-class manipulator that has never changed a day in his life like till his death Charles Manson was talking the way that he talks in this movie except if anything maybe even worse and I don't know like I just don't think these young girls had that evil in them I agree with you so I guess we're both bad because I totally agree with you I've seen interview. I mean, I remember watching interviews with Leslie Van Houten, you know, in the 90s and stuff where she's she's changed. She's very remorseful. She talks about the drugs. These were vulnerable women who were manipulated by a cult leader and they were on drugs and they made a mistake. The hard part is when you have read the book and you've read some of the gory details and you know about what they did right at the murder scenes. And then you're like, if that oh, like, Leslie's the one who looks a little bit like Shelley Duvall, um, like in certain shots, like to me, right? In the movie, like right? He, well, no, even like, oh God, wag, stop that now. Even here, like, doesn't she look a little bit like Shelley Duvall? Like, she has a moment. Yeah, she has a moment like that, and I remember that face, and I feel like I remember thinking, like, oh, she's the one that I'm not comfortable with. But maybe I was young, and also, again, like, I'm reacting very much from a place of like when I hear news about Charles Manson or when I seek it out nine times out of 10. I mean, my mom's traumatized by this case. Like I've never had my mom like shut down on me about a topic as much as this. And it, I think it was like, she was very young. This happened in 1969. So she would have been about five years old or something, maybe six or seven. And she found like the life magazine with Roman Polanski, like in the crime scene with the blood on the walls and everything. And she saw, all of this and like we're a little bit more used to that now well we're saturated and we have right. the internet they didn't have that and they were this was national news they're reading the newspaper and this was all that was on tv yeah and all that was in the newspaper and just the details were so sick and sorted that creepy crawly game right that's wild yeah it is wild and like the other thing too and like and you know, like literally God bless everyone that lost their lives to these people. Because I think that, you know, with the exception of like very few, like everyone is very remorseful about that, but, um, they didn't, 
it was like it was like six of them over a span of time on behalf of someone else killed about seven people that's a lot that's way more people than should die at like the hands of like sorority girls essentially like fucked up sorority girls but um that the time that they're serving was definitely at least on but like partially on behalf of like him like making up what he did definitely and they're never gonna get out no, they're, they're never they wouldn't let Susan a- out. Like she was on her deathbed, like with a brain tumor. They were like, she's unresponsive. Like we just want to try and get her dead body out of here or her like about to die body out of here so she can be with her family. And uh, that was a hard no. I just think that because of all the media attention and the things that people have associated with it. And you have to remember, they were not remorseful during the trial. Not carving- at all into their foreheads and taunting people laughing mm-hmm. when they were questioned about the crime. I have so a lot of thoughts about like all of that. And like, I want to get to that towards the end of the movie because like I had some thoughts about like considering what they lived through, like how long it would take someone to sort of really come to terms with what they actually did in a weird way, I feel like it's like waking up from a nightmare and realizing that you did something so like stupid. so uncharacteristic, so awful, so, you know, just incredibly naive, like on behalf of someone that didn't give a shit about you. Like, I can't imagine like sobering up in my jail cell, like really after all the drugs that they did, like probably two years later, by the time you're getting your full brain function back. I would, I would, uh, I would just want to die. And it's also very expensive to keep elderly women in jail. In jail. It's like yeah. to to pay for someone like Susan to die in jail. Like, it's that's a lot of money. Charles Manson too. I mean, they obviously were not were not letting him out again. But like, he was a huge, huge, huge expense to the state. It was something like millions of dollars a year to protect him personally. Right, from other inmates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the amount of attention he needed. It's, like, terrible. Um, yeah, he was a sicko, sicko. You know, what's some, like, so interesting is I heard, though, from someone who knew people on the inside that, like, he was widely viewed as a quote-unquote pussy. Those were the words that were used. They're like, Manson, he's a fucking pussy. Like, he never did anything for himself. And I was like whoa like that is but i guess like an actual criminal probably would look at manson like that like you got all these girls do your bidding like you hide out like you're in protective custody you have all these like weird girls writing you letters like i could absolutely see other inmates like resenting him yeah i mean that's really interesting i think he it's weird to think about what his persona would be in in prison because when you read about his younger days I mean he was in prison almost his whole life yeah and he was I mean he'd go to prison he went to prison for raping a boy at a juvenile institution wait is that true is that what he was in for like when they first because when they first meet Charlie he'd just gotten out of jail yeah which brings up a lot of questions about like Linda's judgment like I have a lot of questions about like a lot of these girls judgment me too sorry if you guys heard me struggling I'm opening a window um Linda comes off obviously better than the other ones um but no I think he was no he was in jail for pimping women stealing cars going across state lines uh but that was just one thing they caught him doing he raped a boy 
Oh my god. Um Wow, I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised by that, but like he, but he was a boy himself at right. the time, yeah, because you know, he, he was in institutions almost his whole life. I think his mom went to jail for some stupid crime, and his dad was like a criminal as well, right? Or like there was something psychologically wrong with him, from what I remember. But I mean, yeah, I don't want to give him too much credit and be like, you were born in so much trauma, but like true life, like this stuff is. It, it is a chain of fact at a certain point. It's like terrible. To th- it's terrible. And I, yeah, the traumatized, traumatizing others. Yeah. And also this like happened like over such an interesting period of time. So this movie follows Linda Darlene Kasabian. I'm obsessed with her. Now, if you guys don't know who she is, she was basically the one on the inside that she like squealed she wound up being a part for the prosecution she went in and said like she couldn't live with herself based on what she knew and what she had seen and um and she was the driver she was the driver and her lawyers were like she didn't want immunity according to like legend and her her lawyers were like you're not talking until you get immunity but she wound up not doing any time which is i mean it's great good for linda she had to go uh, undercover, right? And witness protection. Yeah, so they didn't, I didn't see, we don't see any of that in the movie and I was like so, sort of like starting to get into that. But Yeah, the movie ends, you feel like they could do a part two. Right. Because they're just getting into the trial. Right. And that would be like actually a great, that would have been a good Flowers in the Attic type arc with them because they have paid a lot of money to make this movie. Like oh, yeah. the sets are great. Like the like the clothing is pretty great. Great. They have so much licensed music. It's like actually crazy. There's probably six or seven songs in here. It's very like like benchmark with the movie, and it's it's pretty great. So I'm gonna just jump into this first. But Linda is who we're following. This is all from her POV. Linda is. I mean, I think she gives insight as to, like, what was really going on with the family. And also you get to see sort of how someone would get caught up with Charles Manson. But we all have to do some critical thinking. Like, there was some big mistakes that Linda made that I was like, girl. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, she left home when she was 16. I know. What do you know at 16? She was. I know. Got married and pregnant you know, in the free love movement in California, that guy left her. Bob. Bob left her. And then she, you know, ends up kind of getting trapped. In the movie, it's by Susan. And I think she did recruit other girls. Yeah. To bring to Charlie. Yeah. So, you guys, quick refresher overall for anyone who doesn't know about, like, the main murder the LaBianca family also was murdered and there was some strays and I hate to say that but like I don't know everyone's name right now this isn't that podcast but I'll tell you that this is um Manson sent people to go murder Terry Mulcher and he was living at Cielo Drive which was a very famous property it still is a very famous property I actually can't wait to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood now the Quentin Tarantino movie just because Um, It's not necessarily about the murder, but more about the time around that murder. And it's a fascinating 
time in America. I mean, I'll just read you some of this. So basically, he sent a few of the girls and a friend to go murder Terry Mulcher, a music uh, producer that was tied in with the Beach Boys and at one point was working on a record with Charlie. Um, They were doing a lot of drugs together back then. They even recorded a song of his and the rest of the group, basically the Beach Boys, were weirded out by Manson. Dennis Wilson moved away from him as well. And Dennis was like, it was interesting to me to see like Dennis was an interloper, that he was like kind of with the Beach Boys, but then also in this more like cruddy, weird community. Because every time I saw like Charlie and his girls roll up to the party, I was like, if I was in Hollywood and I saw that, I'd be... I, I can't imagine a scenario in which I wouldn't think that was weird. Yeah, where you wouldn't be put off. That's drugs. Right. <laughs> it's like, exactly. And like with Hugh Hefner, it's like he's a cart- he was a cartoon. And so him with 11 girlfriends was newsworthy, and but still weird. So imagine fucking... Charles Manson was not charming. He wasn't. He doesn't come across particularly charming to me in this movie. Um, but anyway, there was a revenge-driven motive for him when he sent the girls to go to that house, um, which wasn't occupied by Terry um, Terry Mulcher anymore. It was Roman Polanski um, and his young pregnant wife Sharon Tate. So this is a little bit of history on the property. A lot of people live there, like. A fucking lot. It was built for a French actress named Michelle Morgan and then Lillian Gish, who was a silent film star that my... Well, no, wait. Was she, I think she was silent. My film professor, who was known as the porn priest because he was the first like priest to step forward and say, like, we should be teaching porn like as a legitimate art form. He had such a hard-on for Lillian Gish. Like, the way he would talk about her, he'd be like, oh, Lillian Gish. Um... And it was very obvious he was horny, which was so weird. Um, He was visually stimulated by her. 100%. And then it was bought by this huge talent manager. He rented out to Cary Grant. Um, His wife is... uh, Cary Grant and his wife. And Henry Fonda lived there. Terry Mulcher lived there after that. And he was also um, living with his girlfriend, Candy Bergen. Good old Candace Bergen, Murphy Brown. Um... Candace Bergen's also mentioned in, like, the first page of Helter Skelter because she lived at that house behind the comedy store that I think Mitzi Shore owned after, and she was the owner of the comedy store, Polly Shore's mom, for anyone. I don't know that much about the history of that. But there's this house that has, like, these string lights that's right behind it, and it's very famous, and they, like, right away mentioned it on the first page of the book. It's crazy to me they still have this up, but I think Candace Bergen had moved out of that house with Terry Mulcher, from the Cielo Drive property and moved closer to the Strip. And that's where maybe they broke up and that's where she moved after. Um, then, after the like murders, whatever, there's a, a whole weird time period where it was bought by Trent Reznor of the Nine Inch Nails and he what? turned the house into a studio, which he called Pig or Le Pig, um, which is very fucked up because that's, that's what they wrote in Sharon Tate. Yeah, All of their victims, yeah. So they wrote Pig and Blood and I think that's very weird. Um, and they were the last occupants for the houses purchased or, sorry, rather remodeled by like the guy who originally bought it and had sort of been renting it out in all of these tragedies and weird um he wanted to tear the property down and he did that he called it villa bella he changed the original street address as well which i didn't know you could do it like went from like i don't even know how you would say an address like this one zero zero five zero how would you say that (laughs) 
150? <laughs> like, no, that like, makes no I sense. I would say it just the way you said it. Right? So he changed it to, like, 1600. So this is actually, like, a personal matter, and I don't want to fixate on this too much as it is a very like personal thing to me um but the current owner of the property is uh jeff franklin who produced my sister's show full house and i just want to move on from there now um before just don't ask any questions um where we are now though in this movie it's 1969 sharon tate and roman polanski were living there but he was out of the town making a movie like he was in another country, basically. So that night at that house, it was Abigail Folger, heiress to the Folger, like, whole money-ass thing. Like, she was fucking rich. Like, that was yeah. a big... That was a big net for them. Then Jay Sebring, who I think was, like, a celebrity hairstylist or yes, something. Yes, was. Stephen Parent, and then this guy... I'm sorry, Woshek Fryowski? You try better than me. I don't know. Um, interesting fact that, like, really actually fucking shook me today Quincy Jones was supposed to be there that night but he declined and I totally forgot that from like oh wow any of my previous reading on that but like Quincy Jones and his family like they've been through a lot dog like can you imagine like I mean we all know someone who like slept through their flight on 9-11 right like yeah I mean to not to luck out and mm. not be at that house because that was an awful crime scene and they violated those bodies it was beyond and like yeah and i don't know like if i i I didn't really live during this time myself as i was uh 20 years away from being born but i sharon tate was very very famous like much more than i think people realize like i think that that would be like like killing Jennifer Lawrence after Sylvan Lightning's playbook. Yeah, like I sort mean, of like she was, she was having a moment. She was known as one of the most beautiful women in the world. And I think Jay was her she dated Jay, the celebrity hairstylist, yeah, for a long so time. I always thought about that too, like with this night, just like that hmm that uncomfortable extra layer of like, you know, you're uh, for everyone. Like not that Roman Polanski deserves an easy time, but like, oh my God, like it's almost like Nicole Brown and like uh, Ron Goldman. Like, what was go- was it? Was he just a casualty, or was there something going on there? But it just is like it's beyond dirty. The whole thing is just like yeah, beyond. You want to know, and then you're like, oh, Roman Polanski, and she was, was pregnant. By the way, I don't mu- think like I've very, said that. Yeah, eight months pregnant. Um, I wonder about Roman Polanski though. Was he was he doing her dirty? Because he seems like kind of a scumbag well i mean he he there's a reason why he can't come to america ever again like he's a real like people argue that maybe that's what drove him to his madness like his bad behavior i just wonder about i don't think that's the case no i think that like you know it's not uncommon to see like a dynamic older man who's genius sort of get together with like the young, beautiful girl hottest, in town, you know? Hottest actress. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, who knows what that was about, but we do know that, you know, they were living very much apart. He was, like, you know, during this time, like, he could have... She could have been with him. She's eight months pregnant. She's not working, but who knows what, what you know, do you want to yeah. give birth in a European hospital or wherever they were? 
Um, it's just unfortunate. And it's like, I think everyone's worst nightmare, like when you leave the country or when you do anything or even love someone is like, I'm not going to be able to get to that person. And, um, this life magazine photo shoot that my mom mentioned to me sounds, I've, I've looked at pictures of it, but I barely can just cause I'm like, it traumatized her so much, even though I know it'd be probably very tame con- considering like what I've seen in my life. Um, it's like him standing basically in a murder scene. And I think that those are very odd photos to take. I looked at some of those. Yeah. Uh, and there's odd photos of, um, what's her name? The Folger woman. The Folger girl. Uh, there's photos of her. I mean, her entire cheek is like cut open. And is he in the room? Um, they show him, yes, they show him kind of standing there and then her body's like back there. So how did he get home so, like, that's my question is like, while the bodies were still. I don't know. Yeah, because it's a. Um, I don't know. It's hard because he's standing there and you see bodies in the background. Yeah. And then there's like close up and it's just, it's kind of sad. I was thinking, I was like, this feels like a violation. Oh, for sure. see her. Her face is like, and then you just think, oh, what must she have gone through? It's weird because, like, we've gotten more manners and less manners over the years. Like, I feel like people would be very, like, blunt with the way that they discussed certain things or when they were like, we're going to raise the bar. But in general, we have less manners. But, like, like back then the way that people would talk to mistresses or like you know whatever like even like britney spears being interviewed about her virginity every week like it was like people just had less manners back then in a weird way yeah they think they deserve to know yeah Mm, that's so that's so rough so um we open up on basically what's like a acid fuel orgy that's like what the credits are basically then we see a girl in her late teens or early 20s waking up uh she grabs a bag to leave she's about to make a break clearly um there's basically just a pile of like sleeping girls in various stages of undress behind her um it looked so dirty to me that was like my first thought was like oh my god all these days out in a desert like we've seen no showers yeah the whole time they're camping so um, she sneaks into an office, takes some keys. Um, there's a newspaper on the desk that has a headline about Sharon Tate being murdered. Um, she winds up sneaking out George Spawn, who owned Spawn Ranch. He was blind, right? Yeah, he was. So he didn't had no idea. And it's actually, they never really touched on that in the movie or just like seeing this sort of guy that seems to be overly relaxed in sunglasses all the time um, or senile i mean who knows he's very old and what spawn ranches is, is like it was an old movie set and it was like where they filmed a bunch of westerns there was another one that they had that was burnt down i think yeah. in the last fire actually I, I they filmed this movie at the paramount ranch really yeah because you can tell i've been the there set. once i think it's really far out right yeah, I mean it's it's in Malibu and it's where they film like Westworld. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's like one thing about LA that you probably don't have anywhere you live, which is like fake western towns. Um that is so LA. Yeah, so they filmed Spawn Ranch at the Paramount Ranch for this movie. Fabulous. Um, thank you. So um, we find out that Linda, she wants to go take her daughter, but this woman, uh, Susan, is it? Is that Susan? Who tells her, you can't take her. It's not mommy-daughter hours or whatever. You'll see her at dinner. 
Hold on. It's not Susan. It's someone who looks like It Susan. kind of doesn't matter. Like, we'll just call them, like... All I know is that... Um, it was um, Patricia Krenwinkle, which is one of the ones who's still in jail. Okay. But um, she didn't get much play in the movie. Oh, she's, like, not listed at all on the IMDb. Patricia Krenwinkle? Well, that's the name of the person. The IMDb person is Isabel Schill. Listen, they look um, exactly the same. I mean, they both have brown hair and... Yeah, you know what? We're just going to, like, blow through this in terms of whatever. (laughs) Just, like, if we're listing some mysterious brunette, just go with it. It doesn't really matter that much. Um... But we find out that she's been separated from her kid all day. She can't see the kid till dinner. And Charlie said the plan is on for that night. This time, Linda's not allowed to just watch. She has to get in on the action. So she takes Tanya from her, and Linda runs away. She pulls away in one of the cars in the driveway. There's a voiceover as she peels out saying that her uh, leaving her daughter is the hardest thing she ever did, but she had to do it. So we flash back to the night before where all the girls were sitting in a car singing that bizarre rally song that they all sang. What would you, like... Yeah. It seemed like it reminded me eerily of like the song that like Chris Watts taught his daughter. It's like I'm proud of my daddy. Like it was very like Ooh. menacing. They're holding yeah. hands. It sounded a little bit like a Girl Scout song. But anyway, um, they sang this song everywhere. If you want to go, I mean, we'll hear it probably later in this. But you can also hear them on live video, f- like footage from the days at court singing that. It's really eerie. So. Um, she looks in the rear view in this flashback and she sees one of the girls holding a knife in the light of the headlights around them. So whatever. This movie does flash around a lot in like not a completely disorganized way, but it is a little bit hard to track when some of this stuff is happening. Like there's flashbacks. It helps if you know the story already because it does jump around a bit. I would say like, I would say you might be fucked if you don't know about this. Like, cause I knew a lot and I was like shading and everything. I, this might be an awful movie if you know nothing about this. So she gets to a trailer. It's her ex, Bob. I stand Bob. He's not great, but I stand him. Like he's the best guy in this movie anyway. So he completely mocks her and he's like, Oh, I thought you were all good with Charlie over at the ranch. And she's like, I need you to come get Tanya with me. This is legit and he's like why don't you go back and get her yourself so then she turns the car around to drive home and her car breaks down on the way back to the ranch we have no idea where she drove to by the way because like at one point she like pulls over and calls the ranch i think in just a beat and she says she might be in texas and that's a re that's like days it's confusing yeah because she hops in the car and drives all the way to the east coast right like eventually was that where she was yeah, yeah. that's where she was from okay Maine or somewhere oh yeah new hampshire yeah, yeah yeah okay okay so wow that's actually a lot and this is not a girl who had money so like no i'm saying like gas money right. so i don't know how but she far... knows how to steal gas money and steal cars right this is one thing you got out of being with charlie is like i mean Pie i would hustle. say like there's a little bit of like an exciting titillating aspect that comes with all of this that like if I wasn't such a pussy I would try and pull off myself but I'm just afraid of all the consequences that follow um so we're going to flash back to when Linda first decided to leave home in New Hampshire uh 247 to 632 I need your help 
Oh, yeah? What about your family? I'm not with him anymore. Oh, I thought Charlie was your savior. Here, Christ, come back. I had to get out. Where's Tanya? She's still at the ranch. You left her there? I had to. Okay, you don't understand. No, I do understand that you took my kid and split and took my money, okay? I need you to come with me. I can't do it alone. Something happened. Something bad. There's no way in hell I'm going to that ranch. That Manson guy is crazy, all right? He's a freak. Bob, please. You left her there. You get her. Okay. I was desperate, scared. I had nowhere else to go. My only choice was to get back to the very place I'd escaped from. You're not going anywhere. Yeah? Who's gonna stop me? You are 16 years old. You are not going to California. What is this all of a sudden? What happened? Ask your husband. What did he do? Doesn't matter. Linda, tell me. He's just an ass. He's not that bad. Yeah. You don't know anyone in California. Be fine, Mom. I bounced around for a few years. It was pretty easy to get by. There's always someone who'd let you crash. In LA, it's basically paradise. Bob and I fell in love and got married. We scrounged around, lived on communes, but we got by. Didn't take much to make us happy. Then I got pregnant. Where are you going? South America with Mateo, I told you. No, you didn't. I was gonna do that trip with you, remember? Linda, it's not a vacation, all right? It's business. So you're just taking off? What about me and Tanya? I can score stuff down there cheap, all right? I have to. You took the last of the money. I need cash. Maybe ask your mom if she can wire you something. My mom? I haven't talked to her in years, you know that. They're gonna leave without me, I have to go. I'm sorry. Well, maybe not that. So uh, they're in a diner right now, Tanya and Linda, and um, a girl with a bob is looking at them, aware that they're a single mother and daughter. out in Chatsworth. You'll love it. A ranch? Like a real one? Yep. And more. Drugs, guys, food, and Charlie. Who's Charlie? Everything. Seriously, you'll love him and he'll love you and you. Oh. 
Okay, so wait, I uh, I did not do this clip service. So first we were seeing like a flashback to when she steals the car and she's dealing with Bob. Then we see her and her child at home, just for everyone at home. God knows orgies, whatever, with Bob. It's unclear as if this movie is taking mostly place in like Malibu or what, because I know that like Manson and his girls really started in like Haight-Ashbury era. Um I actually had a therapist who told me that she used to hang out with Manson's girls before they they joined, um, which was kind of cool and um, the kind of level I need a therapist to come in on. Um, but I'm going to tell you right away. First of all, yes, Linda did get poached from that diner with Tanya. She absolutely was like a sitting duck. She's it reminded me like oddly of my mom and I, and I don't remember many positions where we were in that, like in our lives where we had like, you know, $7 to last like two days or something. But it was like a relatable scene for me. And then she grabs her right where I have to bump on Linda being a decent person is when she's like, get in the cars. We have like drugs, we have places to stay. And it's like, she's holding a baby. Like, I wouldn't get in a car with a woman who can say drugs in front of a baby. Like, maybe you can do drugs with a baby, but, like, you don't need to, like... That's not a selling point for a young mother. It shouldn't be. Oh, but you know what? Just from having friends, parents who were in on the whole Haight-Ashbury thing... Yeah. Like, I have friends who remember their parents, like, sitting in a circle and passing around joints. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Getting a joint passed. What was that documentary? They did something about, it was, like, about, like, his name was, like, David or something. And he grew up in the Haight-Ashbury era with, like, parents who were on LSD all the time. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. That was, like, it was, like, a, it was, like, one of those documentaries that had, like, a little sizzle under it when I first really started to, like, watch documentaries. It was, like mid 2000s era that that was really popping but um yeah so this is like the worst nightmare also of like what could happen to a single mom oh yeah you know I mean, it's like all the wrong circumstances coming together to make her even more vulnerable what do you think well first of all your cat's name is bob right uh no <laughs> wait i thought what's I'm who's bob, bob that's from my nickname you're like i'm sunder mommy Yes. Okay. So, um, Bob, what do you think about Bob? Bob's cute, but I think he's just, you know, just like a loser guy who didn't take care of his family. He He's he, a little bit of a fuckboy. He takes off, and yeah. he didn't leave her with any money. Yeah. So that's why she's at the cafe with no money. Yeah. He literally just went on... I, was he going on a drug deal? It was hard to... Well, so we do hear later that he had, like, a big net that he got from something. He got, like, some sort right. of big payoff, um, which, by the way, the the exchange rate or, like, inflation or whatever is insane, and I looked it up. I looked up a lot of inflation in this movie, actually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was apparently a drug dealer, which I guess, you know, you can't be, like, super surprised by that. You leave home at 16, you do a bunch of drugs with someone, you have a baby. Like, all I kept thinking was, was she even sober during that pregnancy? I don't know that. How could you be? And I think in real life, she was pregnant again. Oh, really? Like, when all this happened with Bob's second kid. Oh, really? Yeah. And that, like, 
they don't go into that right because that's not part of this thing but mm. yeah so probably not if you want to like do you think she was sober? Probably not. Yeah, and I also don't know why I wrote in my notes that she felt she needed to leave the trailer behind because I know that they didn't have any money, but, like, why leave this safe trailer? Like, that's yeah, at least a shelter. But anyway. She was lonely. She I mean, was. She really, she really was a victim, a vulnerable victim. Because you'll find out later, like, she is so far away from her family that you wouldn't even... Like, it was really hard for once I realized, like, how little her mom knew about her um, up until that point. I was really shocked because I didn't think someone could be away from home and live that much life. But we'll we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, So they get to Spawn Ranch. It looks kind of groovy, I wrote, but it also looks like just a dump. And this is them doing their best to be like, welcome to Spawn Ranch. Like, it's a fun, horny, good time. Like, it looked depressing even pulling up yeah yeah and like um, right away she's like having a little thing with tex tex yeah because she's love bombed right away by every girl they're like you're the only gemini here such a good em- energy which like how did they even know she was a gemini oh yeah, I, I thought that too i'm like did her friend like call in her birthday like i have no idea so we <laughs> meet lynn aka squeaky who I always thought her name was Squeaky because she had a squeaky voice. But in this movie, they're saying it was because she made squeaky noises in bed. And then, um, like, she's given the lay of the land. Basically, it's free love nonstop. Everyone takes care of each other. It's, and like, nobody, very... You're not allowed to have, like, a one-on-one connection. You no. You free love with everybody because Charlie says... Mm-hmm. Which, like, they did actually make it look doable to me. At a couple points, I was like... I don't believe anyone's being held against their will in this romantic situation. Like, it was very interesting to watch how that sort of broke down in parties. But right away, Linda's, like, weirded out by text, but that doesn't, like, make her not have sex with him. Right, she does him that night, I think. Yeah, so let's do the uh, rundown. 8.30 to 9.07, just so you guys can hear from the horse's mouth. You can sleep here. Yeah, it gets sort of tight, and we don't pair up. Everyone's with everyone. Charlie says when you couple up, you act like you own each other. Where's Tanya's daddy? Are you guys checked up? They split? Pretty much. Yeah. Possessions, man. Yeah, we don't own anything. Makes us free. I like that. <laughs> People come and go, but I've got a good feeling about you. So do I. Tex looks like a big old hamburger. Like, doesn't he look like a hamburger? Yeah, he's he's kind of lurch. Yeah, Bob looks like a hot dog, and and he <laughs> looks like a well, no, Billy Brian Brian looks like a hot dog, the uh, dumb one that gets good weed. Oh, okay, yeah. So while she's banging it out with Tex, she's like, "Tell me all about Charlie," and he's like, "He's full of love, which is crazy because he was in prison for most of his life, and like she barely is like taken away by that." And there's no more questions asked about that part. It's just like Tex basically giving her the rundown. We're family. This is what it's all about, baby. Um, and do you think that Tex and Charlie, like the guys were doing it too? Right. 
Yeah, I think I, so. I think so I because I well, wasn't sure how far the free love went. Charlie talked a lot about like towards the like his last couple of few interviews, like couple of few interviews, his last couple of interviews. Um, like it was headline news that he was bisexual. That was like the thing. But I don't think that he ever specified that. He literally was like a hole's a hole. Like I've done it all. Like that he was very explicit about that in like a really dirty way. And I felt it was very odd that like the headlines were that he was bisexual because that has like a little bit more like agency and like, you know what I mean? Like that's an actual, whereas I feel like he's just, sort of doesn't give a shit about there yeah there's like probably like a lot of love in most relationships i don't think he had that with anyone so and it's weird because when she says that like when he says like oh charlie was in jail he made mistakes but you know that's not what he's about she goes yeah i've made mistakes too and i'm like you having a child out of wedlock is like not anything that this man's capable of like welcome to a cult i just wonder if they really had any idea do you think they all really knew that he had been in jail or they're just using that to kind of like tell the narrative in this movie i think they knew that he had been in jail but i think that there was also a very negative attitude towards the police right you're right i think that there was also like you know, just like, well, what would someone really go to jail for? Like drugs? Like, you know, I don't think they thought he was like capable of a lot of the stuff that he was capable of before he was too far gone, you know, or they were. Okay. Um, so Charlie comes in the next day. He sizes her up right away. He bends down, kisses her feet, and then he's just like staring at her crotch, like through her jean shorts. And he's like, you've got a father thing, don't you? How do you know? I can feel it. And he says, no more fear for you, Linda. You feel that? That's you beside me. I'm here now. Um, everyone's doing drugs at a fire. They're talking about what brought them there. They all have like these stories that they think are like cute party stories. Like um, Leslie was a stripper and she met Charlie at a party and he was singing and she was intrigued. He was playing Tony Bennett's song or whatever. So odd, like such an odd choice and probably exactly true. Um, they all think these stories are really funny too, which is like, there's nothing like funny, like (laughs) maybe it's sweet or romantic or interesting, but like, that's objectively not a funny story. Um, well, they have twisted senses of humor, right? Which goes on to be revealed. Right. Um, so basically, oh, and then one of them was saying that she was working as an accountant and before that she was going to be a nun. So none of these people were expected to wind up like this. This this is, I think, a big part of this movie for me is like a lot of these girls were like middle class or upper upper middle class. They were people that, yeah, seeking something, you know, I don't know. It's really sad. So um, Charlie comes up and they all like turn into like a bunch of giggling schoolgirls. He says they're going to go out uh, for a surprise tomorrow. I don't know. I was just thinking like Denny's or like what I like. I was I didn't think it would be. I thought they were going to murder or like it was going to be like a local underwhelming honky tonk sort of night. Um, But no, they wind up going to to the sounds of So Happy Together by the Turtles, which we also heard in Happy Face Killer. And I'm not thrilled about the use of it. Um, We see them all dressed up and they arrive at like this patio type of garden party. It's at Dennis Wilson's house. We'll find that out in a little bit. Um, This is like a networking moment for Charlie. Um, 
And this was the moment that I was like, okay, I could see the like no one partners up thing working because there was these moments on the floor where one girl would like come up to Charlie and they would flirt and they would like kind of kiss and then move on and she would go to a guy. And I thought maybe he was like, instructing these girls to go to different guys but then you'd see like a girl go up to another girl and then like one just continue talking to him but it seemed like a really like natural thing and we will learn later on that he is sort of like pimping these girls out to his friends but that didn't that's not what it seemed like to me in that scene at all it wasn't I think you're right, but I wouldn't put it past him to have done that. Oh, I wouldn't put anything past him. Because he was trying to get his music career going. And yeah. there he is hanging out with the Beach Boys. Yeah, huge. he did less to like unload a stolen Lincoln. So um, this is actually the party that looks somewhat appealing to me. People seem showered, clean, productive. There are great snacks there. The girls are like stuffing their faces at the buffet. And this is where I started to really realize like, oh, they might not have like food. They might right. not have anything They're like hungry. that. They're hungry. Yeah, They're skinny, and I thought that too. Where did they get those clothes? And did they take showers before they went to this party? Yeah, so like, there's like really only a couple of things that we get to see from inside Spawn Ranch. There's like the two sort of like tapestry draped, disgusting rooms, and then there's a place where they keep the kids, which is like actually like a jail cell set, right? Like it, it would be like the sheriff's it looks jail like a pen for animals. Yeah, and it didn't really occur to me that that's where they were keeping them until then, but we really only got to see a couple spots inside. Um, So, yeah, we find out... um, Oh, I will say that this is a spot that I got a little bit messed up about because in my mind, Charlie was not living at Spawn yet at this point. Like, when Charlie was with Melcher and the Beach Boys and all that stuff, those were during his Sunset Boulevard days. And he was, like, at the, like, the clubs a lot yeah he was and i didn't think that by the time he got out to spawn ranch that he had any sort of like social pull or anything it almost seemed like he became a pariah like he just like went out there and sort of like seemed to be like hashing it out right because he wasn't accepted trying to make something happen yeah it's Mm -hmm. like it's unfortunate too because i mean this movie is like it's it has that thing A a recurring theme for me as a person is when I see someone snap, I don't always think of them as just being a bad person. I think about, like, being nudged and nudged and nudged and, like, have nothing work out and, like, you were set up to fail and, like, you know, you think you finally have a break and, like, I could see that making a weak person with something wrong with them break. But it's also just, yeah... I part of it's me thinks very that the, kind of you to think that about I know, Charles well, Manson. I know. Well, I just mean like the deal with like you know Dennis Wilson. He's like fucking doing drugs with Charles Manson. He tells Charles Manson, "I can make your dreams come true." The Beach Boys actually did record a song of his, and then they were like, "Nah," and never went on an album. But it is out there, and it's just like you know that would. I don't know. That after all Charlie had been through, thinking that he I think might that that make would it there, fuck with anyone, he might have put him over the edge. Yeah, I feel like most people probably would be very sad to learn of that. So um, we see Linda staring, uh, standing by the ocean. We hear her voiceover, and a scene of her and the girls are running into the ocean. It seems very free. I'm not upset by this. So let's do nine twelve to twenty o two. I finally found my home, a family that loved me. <laughs> 
I wanted it to last forever. They're just walking into the ocean, holding hands. Okay. Let's. Well, wait. No, actually. I want to get like a line of it. We're watching an orgy, by the way. They're back at the ranch, so I have so many questions about that as well. You can cut it off anytime. <laughs> Hurdy gurdy man. Like, guys, out of all of the songs from this time period they could have taken, Hurdy Gurdy Man is what they have a big orgy to. <laughs> but also, did they have a locate? Like, was this happening in a motel? Because it is like a three and a half hour drive from Malibu to, to like Chatsworth to Chatsworth. It is a long drive. And I know that we're not dealing with like, I think they took some artistic license here. Yeah. I, I, uh, I just was like, well, I mean, the girls are driving around in a bunch of LSD and I, I mean, I used to smoke pot in the car in college. So like, you know, pro- people probably are driving around on drugs, but like, I just was I was At really the end of the sixties. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm like, oh, Charles Manson risked a DUI. Like, I don't know why I'm like, I'm so <laughs> fucking dumb. But like, yeah, that's where my mind goes. I'm like, how did they get back sober? Yeah, that's so um, bad. But yeah, so they're doing this orgy to hurdy gurdy man, which was the most probably cringy, like overtly cringy moment for me. I was really roughed up by that. Um, so we find out that all of the kids are considered Charlie's to a certain extent. He considers himself the father figure. He has everyone up there ready to have a good day, and he gives them acid one by one. So Yeah, that was a crazy scene. And how they, like, whatever they did with the visual, like, they kind of shook the camera, like, yeah, took they it out like of frame a little... each time a person took acid. But, like, that line went on forever. Ever. Like, it's all over Hurdy Gurdy Man, or under Hurdy Gurdy Man, and whatever. Um, it's all there, and they're taking this, like, they're holding kids. Really disturbed me. I was sensitive about that. I was like, how are you taking LSD holding a baby? I was like, they're all going to drown in the ocean. Who's watching? Who's the sober adult? And then they're saying they made love all day. But people made it, you know? Like, there are kids that lived like your friends like they they made it out on the other side um i didn't drown in the 80s so yeah these kids were fine in the 60s so charlie's singing to linda alone in a room and it looks like they're in a motel or something in this scene but they're not um they're having sex and then after um oh while they're having sex he's basically saying like i died for you like he's like acting out sort of it's christ role play He's doing biblical role play with her. Yeah. Was Jesus a virgin? He died a virgin, right? Oh, don't ask me. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, in the book, he died a virgin, I think. Right? That's why it was like a big deal that he was friends with a prostitute sex worker. I don't think they would have ever called her a sex worker back then. Poor Mary. Um, But anyway, she spots a wall with like pictures. And this is actually sinister. So inside of Collie, I know. So inside of Charlie's closet, he has like Polaroids of every single person that's on the ranch. And underneath he has like different descriptors written for each one. Will do anything for attention. 
gives it up, loyal, uh, one's the enforcer, and then there's a picture of um, Brian, and it says, dumb but scores good weed. Nope, sorry, Bobby is his name. Dumb but scores good weed. Um, And Linda's picture is up there, and it doesn't say anything. She, yeah, the rest is still unwritten. Um, I was, like, going to say that it says daddy issues in a little bit, but that's not the way that this story went out. Like... But that is how she was attracted to him. I mean, she totally she thought like when he pegged her daddy issues, which yeah. now I think, you know, that's like a pretty standard thing to peg for certain right. people. But when he did it, she was astounded and amazed. And I'm just very curious. What were these stepdad issues? Did he sexually abuse her or did right. he beat her? So they get to that. So her like first dad, her OG dad died, I think, or he ran away. It was like she grew up without a dad. And then her mom got married to a guy that was like skeezy. But and they imply that he was fucking around with her or something. I think they do imply it. Right. At the beginning, right? We, yeah. That's what we watch. She's basically... Yeah. She's ask your husband. Yeah, because she goes... Her, the mom goes, what did he do to you? And, like, what you can't see is that the mom's sort of, like, looking her up and down, being like, have you matured? Like, let me check it out. It's Ugh. very it's, creepy. Yeah. We saw that with the Anna Nicole movie. Like, that's a very not uncommon theme in a lot of, like... Yeah, in a lot of movies that we watch here and that I feel like I watch generally is like just moms. I, Tanya, was a lot like that too. Yes. Wasn't there that moment in that? Um, but anyway, so so I think her Polaroid would have been daddy issues. I do, even though they didn't well, go all the way. She says to him, um, she goes, what kind of person am I going to be? And she, he says, you're a strong person. And he says, no, I'm yours. Like, she says, no, I'm yours. So basically, like, she's already... It took no time. Like, this was 72 hours, and she's in a cult. <laughs> so we flash forward to current times, I think, at the ranch. No, because, it, listen, who knows when this takes place? It just happens in the movie. Um, Linda calls and squeaky answers. So this is when she's on her road trip. After she's been rejected, she's run away yeah, from the ranch and by she's Bob Casabian. Yeah, and she's calling because you know she's, she's worried, worried about, about her, her daughter. Kid. Yeah, thank yeah. fucking god. So the other thing that we should say about Tanya is like when she leaves, like these kids have like dirt on their faces. These are child. These are this is criminal neglect that what these kids have all gone through. So like the idea that Linda even remotely cares about her child is a unique concept in this movie, which is why I think we're supposed to give her so much credit. So 2515 to 2920. Why'd you bail on us, man? I didn't. My mom is sick. I should have left a note or something. I just got really scared. Where are you? At Texas, I think. Is Tanya okay? Yeah, yeah, she's she's fine, but um, it's just Charlie. He's freaking out. He thinks that you might rat us out to the cops. Would I have left Tanya if I was going to do that? Come on. No, no, that's that's exactly what I told him. It's just... Just you better come back quick. It's getting crazy around here. What do you mean? I I can't talk. Squeaky, make sure Tanya's... I'm starving. Do you know what I would do for a cheeseburger right now? Oh, and french fries. Mm, Strawberry ice cream on a sugar cone. (laughs) What are you doing? That you're not thinking about food now, are you? Hey, girls. It's time to pay the bills. 
Go with him. Be fun. Living on love didn't bring food or money. So we hustled. That's your lifeline right there. See? Branch is all the way to the bottom. That's good. So I'll live to see another day? There's other ones, too. I tell you all sorts of things. Oh, yeah? Like what? <laughs> well. Which car? Oh, crap. Uh, the Lincoln. Uh, the Lincoln. Quick. He's taking a pit. out. It's not even open. Charlie calls them the haves. People who have too much and waste it. We're supposed to take it back. Like this. <laughs> Table for two, please. <laughs> right this way, smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> hand in hand and arm in arm. We go our separate ways. With our eyes we say goodbye. Our hearts will stay the same. Time is nothing. Love is free. Life is living. Can she see? Hand in hand and arm in arm, we go our separate ways. Hand in hand, we all are. Yeah, look cool. All right. Are we, uh, we sweetening the pot here? Looks like someone's about to be initiated. <laughs> Sarah, come over here for a second. Here, girl. Listen, um, that's my friend Andy, so why don't you take him on over to the bunkhouse? Uh, I, um, I love you. Well, this is how you show you love. Charlie, couldn't I just... Hey, hey. You're free to do what you want. Everybody here is. So if you want to leave, I'll still love you. No, I don't. Charlie, I don't want to leave. Well, if you want to stay and be part of this family, I'll pitch in. It's your choice. That was classic Dudley Spa slash every cult is like get you to say it three times, get you to like make you think that this is a decision you're making, but also you're fucked if you don't. I thought you liked it here. Thought you wanted to be part of this family. Yeah, Did like you want to be part of this family. Do you remember yesterday when you didn't have to pay anything to be here? Well, now you have to have sex with my friend Bill, or you're making a choice not to be here. Like, very rough. Um, Bye, bitch. But, like, he's got these girls committing Grand Theft Auto happily dumpster diving. Like... I know. I will say that, like, this... The whole philosophy behind, like, there are haves out there, especially in L.A. Like, everyone knows... All the bitches Marie Kondoing right now have stocked our Goodwill forever. Everyone's also always known you go to the Goodwills on like that side of town on the west side. That's where we're gonna find like the real good go stuff. Go to the Jewish Council Thrift. The Jewish Council Thrift Discovery yes. Shop in Beverly Hills. Yep. 
Yeah. And you I'm, get the good stuff. The bomb Pyrex, like all that good exactly. stuff. Great book sets. Like, I, yeah. The What is it? The Jewish? What is that? A uh, Jewish Council Thrift. Yeah. Okay. Because that was, that's on like Pico and Olympics. There's a sort couple of. of them. But yeah, there's one on Pico. Um, I forget the cross street. Pico and Olympic. That doesn't cross. Um, it's not Pico and Olympic. It's on Pico. There's one actually now that I think is on Fairfax. It's basically like Pico and Robertson, except for like three blocks over, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a very good one. That's like it's one of the best. furniture. Yeah. And they're obviously dumpster diving somewhere really fancy because you can see the Lugan- Hollywood Hills. Lugan Villa. Yeah. And the dumpster looks pretty nice. Yeah, and they were, <laughs> that is the truth, is like, this was a profitable way to live, or like profitable, a livable way to live like six years ago, I feel like during the recession, everyone was like, I eat out of dumpsters. Yeah, um, freakinism, or whatever. But I can only ima- imagine that this was crazy back then. So um, we find out that Texas brought a suitcase full of weapons, um, but they are going to need more weapons if they're preparing for Armageddon, which yeah. apparently now which they're preparing for. Skelter, yes. Which is a race. Yes. And, and that's in like Charlie's, that's like a interpretation he had from a Beatles song. Is that? Yes. Right. From the White Album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, I mean. Which actually I just read about it. Helter Skelter is, I think it's like a, a carnival ride. I think yeah. it references a carnival ride. I didn't know that. It sounds until. like a fucking carnival ride. Like that. It, it's so. Um, he robbed us of Helter Skelter as like a happy thing. As a jam. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. It's There's still no, a good jam. Yeah. Mute Helter Skelter. But I will say like it has always bothered me to a certain degree that like such a dumb cheesy name has been associated with such a gruesome crime. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like, that feels like when I first picked up Helter Skelter, I assumed it was about like 70s rock bands or something. I didn't know it was like, oh, and of course, like a quickly dug right in. But I had no idea that that's what it was. Um, so the girls come running up and it's creepy crawler time, bitch. Um, what's creepy crawler time? It's it's rough. Thirty one thirty two to thirty two fifteen. Really short clip. Woo! Yeah. Is Charlie really making an album with Dennis Wilson? Yeah, he's gonna be bigger than the Beatles. Okay. Well, maybe not the Beatles, <laughs> but famous. Hey, pass him back. I'm already taking three. <laughs> Keeps your energy up. Steal whatever you can find. Watches, wallets, jewelry. Oh, but before we go, we mess with their little picky hands. How do you know no one's home? We don't. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Yeah, I mean, these people seem less self-possessed to me than the bling ring. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, and by they're, the way, these girls, they're having fun. They're yeah. having a good time. They were hungry. But so they, they also went out don't for the seem day. like they're in chart necessarily behind the wheel, even though they are behind the wheel taking tabs of acid. And I'm upset about that. They don't seem like they're really like conscious about what they're doing or thinking like we're going to get something for us out of this. It really is this like mentality of like, we'll see what we can get. Um, and they slide right into this person's home. And I do want to, I mean, did you grow up in an area where no one locked their doors? Yes. My parents only started locking their doors recently. Like since, I mean, 
after I graduated from college, which was still kind of a long time ago. But yeah. it's crazy. No one ever locked their doors. Throughout okay. high school and even in college, like, I would be shocked if, if I my came door across. Was locked. Yeah, yeah. Like, I used to door. go into... Just so, like, you guys can really get a frame of reference, because there are some people under 30 who listen to this. Actually, a lot of you. Um, I used to, like, walk to my best friend's house after school. Her family wouldn't be home. She would still be at tennis practice. And I would unlock... I would walk, walk right, right through in. the back door, do homework at the kitchen table for two hours. Like, my nana and grandpa's house, like, there was never a locked door ever, no matter what part of town, where you lived, whatever. Um, yeah. So they get right into this family's house through a sliding door. Um, I feel like now I'm like going to lock my sliding door every night because of this. Um, but they kind of like, they ransack it, I guess, but they're not being violent about it. They go through purses, drawers, the fridge. They take well, wedding the pictures. The whole point of this game that they play is that people are home. They're, so they're sleeping. They're creepy crawling through their house. This was the game that they used to play, and they're just looking for stuff, for yeah. money, and valuables. Very bold. Like, they take stuff out of the nightstand next to these sleeping people. Oh, yeah. And they're shining flashlights, which I do think actually happened. Yeah, I agree with that. And, like, the last thing that we see in this house is that there's an older person in, like, some sort of, like, at-home hospice situation where they're on a breathing machine and everything like that. This, like, is a lingering moment that normally in a Lifetime film wouldn't lead to anything, but it does sort of lead to something later. Um, Charlie's dressed literally like Jesus with thorns on his head when we get back. He's kind of, like, in a cross-like position to with a tree. and, yeah. Yeah, like, what theater, like, what was this? I don't really understand what that was, like, supposed he didn't need to go so extra. These girls are already on drugs, you know? I know. I know. I love that you are continually mystified because it is all just drugs. <laughs> well, I like, know. I'm the same way. You're like, why would anyone do that? Right. But well, yeah, I've I, done I like mushrooms. Like, and I, I mean, I can imagine like day three of mushrooms, like you'd probably be like losing right. your mind or whatever. But like, and I guess also I'm not thinking enough about eventually they start snorting stuff and I'm like, oh, this is they're on speed right. like Coke or whatever. But like most of this stuff, I'm like, that would just make you lazy and like happy. Yeah. You wonder, too, when you see this, like, what did Charlie believe about himself? I think he right. believes it. Oh, yeah. And no, he told he's so oh, extra. Yeah, he's like till the end like never broke character like there was never um with most serial killers even people that are putting something on like you get to see like a moment where they've let themselves go or like turned off the character right and he's he never done that stop. i don't Do you what's his uh i think he just was a disorder this fucking i don't know like i mean i think i don't know like probably like these He's probably a psychopath. Like, yeah, I think he is. But I mean, you know, it's it might even like psychopaths don't even really know how to use people that well. I don't really know. He's more. I think he's very yeah. sick and twisted and more than just a psychopath. I mean, he is that he has a lot of stuff. Narcissism. All that's that like stuff. a psychiatrist has that in their office, like like Xenu. Like that's like the last level. They were like, Oh, we don't even tell people about these disorders. Like this is we keep this 
it's part of the medical plan. It's like how we don't know about the aliens yet. The government does. That's them with Charles Manson. Okay. So this girl's like having a seizure basically while all of this is happening and they think she's ODing. They're freaking out. It's clearly a fucking seizure, which I guess could be part of an OD. Sure. But it's just, she seems to have epilepsy. Right. Um, Charlie yells at everyone to shut the fuck up and he leans down and starts whispering in her ear. She comes back to life. He's like talking in tongues, it seems like. But whatever. Yeah. And like also yeah. like sometimes a seizure only lasts that long. But they throw her back in the game. It's a real boot and rally situation for her. And then Gary Hinman, who's Bobby's friend, Bobby, not um, Bob Gasabian, but Bobby the dumb one that I keep calling Brian. Um, he comes by and they're having this like dinner party and Gary is a producer friend that knew Terry Mulcher and like was in somehow. So when Gary starts to realize that they're weird, this negatively affects Charlie directly in a real way, like career, um, consequences. So before dinner, Charlie says, Grace, he says, life is God birds bugs trees the sun some people got god on a cross leaning down hoping they'll go to heaven when they die but death doesn't exist it's life baby that's the truth how do i know because i'm a messenger of truth and you're all here you're my church and then gary's like amen and he says yeah amen so charlie wants to go right into like a music conversation as if it's normal to just move on from that. Um, let's play 3635 to 3814. I want to play this because one, it's, it's, there's a little bit of exposition in here, but this is a good example of like a normal person interacting with him. I was waiting for you to say that. Yeah, exactly. A normal, like right. what would a normal person do who encountered these wackadoodles? I mean, he, <laughs> he, uh, the word I would also use to describe them, total wackadoodles and kooks, like they're a bunch of freaks. But this all said, like he can't, Gary Hinman cannot be that normal if he was even willing to follow Bobby out, who looks like, the reject family friend's son that like you would maybe try to get him a job at like a pharmacy or something or probably right. not even a pharmacy well, sweeping up the right pharmacy. Yeah. yeah something like that but you wouldn't ever be like you know what i would like to meet this crazed cult leader that lives in the desert um and knows one of the beach boys let's go out to chatsworth so thirty six thirty five to 38 14 so gary you've been listening to the white album yeah i heard it those boys from Liverpool are geniuses talking about how there's going to be a race war. A race war? <laughs> well, look at the Watts riots, Gary. I mean, we got to be prepared. It, it's all there. It's in Helter Skelter. Really? I, I, I didn't get that. <laughs> you say you want a revolution. Uh-huh. I do, man. <laughs> you better believe happiness comes from a warm gun. I mean, don't you watch the news, read the papers? The blacks are, are pissed off and... And it's all going to go down real soon. Do you, th- do you think you're special, Bobby? No, man. <laughs> Not at all. Why, why, why you ask? You're taking more than your share of peas. We are all equals here. But apparently one of our family members thinks that he's the prime minister and president of all the world's peas. I don't even like peas, so Bobby, you can have mine. No, no, that's not the point. Sorry. It's okay, Bobby, it's fine. Sorry, Charlie. Just feel your remorse, son, and let it go. Yo, 
You'll make it up to me later. So, Gary, I heard that your pop recently passed away. I'm so sorry to hear that, man. I'm gonna fly with the, the angels, right? Thanks, Charlie. Did he leave you any money? I mean... There's almost something refreshing about someone being that transparent. I, like, I, it's just crazy. That whole scene, like, with his top off. And- right. So he's he, actually, yes, that's also a thing. Like, people, do you remember people used to, like, do that in the summer? They'd, like, come to dinner without their shirt on. No. My, my, my uncle's. I mean, like, an outdoor barbecue, right. maybe? So we had, like, a beach house. And, like, my uncles would, like, they were all, like, when I was born. They were, like, 16, 17, 18. And, like, my grandmother is was very just, like, white gloves, fucking very uptight. Like, they would be like, hey, ma. Like, because that was very popular in the bo- in Boston. And be like, ma. And she'd be like, don't ever call me that. She was very... So our un- my uncles would try to, like, roll up to the porch dinner without a shirt on. And it was like, go upstairs. I can't believe he came to dinner without a shirt on. And... Get dressed. Get dressed. And this is, like, granted, I don't know how they did this. Because where they're living is so hot. Year-round. It's always hot except for, I guess, at night. Yeah. They address the heat a little later a little bit later but he's like the idea of him not walking around shirtless is also crazy I to guess me you're right okay so he's transparent but then what's the deal with like i mean he's not tracking because he starts out the dinner by being like you never die and then he talks about right away he's like oh your dad died do you have is there a will Did you get money? yeah and so like he also like Throughout this movie, like from this point on, you can't help but realize how often he speaks of death. And yeah, what did he buy into on his own? The movie, I just feel like he was a lot more cunning and manipulative in real life. I hope he's showing in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, he bought into he's. Yeah, but the look on that guy's face when he asked him about the money. And the fucking Bobby Pease thing. Like, he's sitting there yeah, being like... you're taking more than your Your share. Yeah. And, like, was there a conversation? Like, what's a share? Like, and a I think spoonful? they're starving, you right. know? Of course. And they're, like, growing that food. I anyway, didn't even know what, how they would cook that. Like, was are there is there gas here? Is there light here? Like, is there anything? Stove? That's a good question. Yeah, so... Um, we go back to the part of the movie where Linda's hitchhiking along the side of the road and there's some action at the ranch. We cut back to the ranch now, but it looks like things have slowed down a lot. Terry comes down and he tells, um, that Columbia is going to pass. Charlie, Columbia is done. They're out. Um, he gets very, very angry. And like, just think about the fact that like Terry's girlfriend at this time is Murphy Brown. Like a very young Murphy Brown. It's weird to yeah. think about Candace Bergen's she was boyfriend. A babe. Yeah, she was a babe. And like he was super successful too. It's just like I don't think that like the big guys get their hands dirty like this anymore. And it's just interesting to see like that he'd get really down and dirty like that and actually drive out to the ranch and deliver a message. And part of me can't help but wonder if that's like a drug thing too. Because yeah. like boundaries get very blurred Seems in all ways. So prevalent yeah. in those times too. I mean, um, so not to accuse Terry of anything. So basically, threatens Terry. Um, it's 
he's basically like Charlie, like, you know, the music industry is actually hard. Like things don't always pan out. And it's in, it's, it's very interesting to watch someone have a hard time grasping that because I feel like I've met people who are like this in that way, but Charlie is on his own level. But it's right. it's a quality that's not uncommon where people are like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I, it's not happening? Like, not for me? Yeah. Um, so Charlie starts screaming, do something about it, because he's pissed. He's, like, screaming at all the girls, and he's, like, demolishing a car with a crowbar, and then Tex walks up and says, look, you, we can make our own record. And just like that, Charlie swings to the other side, and he's like, wow, I've got a record. So it's, like, one type of anger to the other kind, because he's like, I'm doing a record. Fuck everyone. We're going to, like totally like everyone's gonna miss us and it's like yeah dude, i'm a legend in my own mind yeah it's like to see someone go from sorry that's my broom to see someone go from that angry to another type of angry was really a lot for me um so i want to know what that emotional brain is like. dysfunction yeah i want to i would i would like five minutes in a brain like that and i couldn't do any more than that but i would oh, like no. to you'd just be you, you would probably cross universes in a brain like that truly it's minutes. like doing dmt like it's like yes. welcome to the next level yeah. the final level so now we see a tv man is about to land his ass on the moon now this is like my favorite part because um first of all you get to like see and realize how young society is at this point mm-hmm. how young these girls are how monumental like things were when they really like penetrated society like a yeah, like fucking when things moon happened, landing everybody watched the moon landing yeah it wasn't like today where there's 500 cable channels and and then as i wrote in my notes and i don't really mean this but as they're watching this charles manson starts to make some goddamn sense um let's cut to <laughs> 42 28 to 44 57 this is how i like introduce myself at parties Moonwalk's a fake. It is? It's a government PR stunt. Make the country forget about poverty in Vietnam when what they ought to be doing is preparing for helter-skelter. Blackie's revolt against the white man. And if Blackie don't start the revolution himself, we're going to start it for him, right? Uh Right on. That's one small step for man. You're my soldiers. All of you. Unless you don't believe it. Go to the wall, stand there. Give me your knife. I do believe, Charlie, I do. If you're going to make others bleed for the cause, you got to be able to bleed yourself. You think I got good aim? You better pray I do. I believe, Charlie!
see that you do. And I forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a beautiful life, so let it be. Just believe what you see. Okay. Intense. I will say I don't appreciate, as I was about to say during this, him getting a very valid conspiracy, which is that the moon landing was staged, mixed in with, yes, there was racial tension in America at this time. Certainly not going to be a race war. Um, I, I don't like all of these things being in the same person's mouth in this movie. Mixed together. Leave the moon landing out of this. There's like, this is almost like the government chipped in on this or something. Like they were like, yeah, make sure you like, make sure that the crazy person says that the moon landing's not real. Like, please get out of here. Um, that was like um, the idea of someone holding the blade of a knife ready to fling it towards my body is like probably more scary than a gun in some ways. Oh, yeah. It's it's far like, more violent. And it's also so Russian roulette in a way where it's like maybe that's not going to penetrate deep or if it doesn't, you know what I mean? Then it falls off your body. You're standing there. It sounds terrible. But this man's fucked up. And these women are all beyond and also it's very clear now what his agenda is maybe he's saying it's these race riots that he's predicting which for anyone who doesn't know the watts riots were like the biggest riots in la before rodney king like it was a big 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 deal so he's using that to like incite fear in these people it's not unrealistic they happened four years before this happened so yeah you know they're saying like you know he's saying something relative and by the way life moved super slow back then like something that happened four years ago was still still very much in the current atmosphere then for sure now nothing lasts like even two weeks um yeah his those intimidation techniques that he just used because he just scared her to death I'm then scared. Got, then got them all like laughing about it, like aha. And then he's like, "I forgive you." Yeah. So they're all like flipped out. This is where you get to start to really see them. This is where things change significantly. The they weapons and are the violence under his thumb. Yeah. Um. But there's one quick fight back from your girl Susan, though, which is now Susan's playing an acoustic. She's playing one of Charlie's songs. Yes. Tex is listening. The girls are listening, and Charlie comes in and says, "When'd you learn my?" song you think you can do my song better than me and he gets really all up in her face and she's like no charlie no i could never um and he's being more and more confrontational and then finally um the girls are like basically surrounding him trying to get him off of her and he's like relax i'm just messing with you and then he turns to text to have a conversation text to have a conversation and you think that susan is gonna like walk away she takes that acoustic and she fucking nails it on the side of a beam and breaks it. And I was like, how many acoustics do you have? Yeah. You know, you're going to go have to one? steal another acoustic. Yeah. I don't see Charlie like sharing and leaving his guitar out. So that must have been like a stray. But I really thought yeah. if she broke Charlie's guitar, he's going to fucking kill oh, her. Yeah, you would kill her. For That's sure. exactly what I went to. Um, so... 
um, the children are all crying. They're being kept in this mock jail cell. And, and we they're find hungry. Out they're starving. And they all look really dirty. Um, and we drive, like, this is where Linda finally is like, I'll handle it. So she and Susan drive out to Bob uh, Kasabian's place. And they, she sends, Linda takes some air out of the tire and she sends Susan up to the door. He, you know, answers. He's very like, She's very attractive. Like, it's very porn, what happens. She's got a tire. It needs fixing. So he comes out. He fixes it. She invites him to the beach. What he doesn't realize is that Linda is in the trailer now stealing $5,000. And she brings it out to the car. They get away before Bob can come back out. Um, She gives Charlie the $5,000 she stole. And he says, this girl came only a few weeks ago. Pause. What? This has been a few weeks? Like, what? Like, (laughs) Tanya looks a year older. And like, anyway, so uh, he goes, this girl came only a few weeks ago, but her generosity, her loyalty, this is what I'm talking about. This is what family means. She deserves our gratitude. And I will say Joni and I take exception to his definition of family because that's not what my family's all about. But um, everyone's like, thank you so much. And then Susan, who's still on the ice after this acoustic guitar incident, and like, I don't think he knows that she was part of stealing it. Susan even thanks her. is like, thank you. So then Bob pulls up. Apparently, he followed on there. Uh, Charlie tells everyone to go inside, and he's going to handle this. Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind, like, while you're hearing this scene, is that $5,000 in 1969 is worth thirty five thousand four hundred dollars in today's money so Yowza. five thousand dollars isn't a small sum to me like I, anyone who thinks five thousand dollars is not a lot of money is a fucking asshole but thirty five thousand dollars like how desperado would you have to be to get someone out of your life for thirty five thousand so let's play fifty forty one to fifty two oh six she took my money what money Manhandling must be pretty good. Oh, you Manson? You must be the man who abandoned our lovely Linda. Cough it up now, or I'm calling the cops. Well, no, hey, there's no need for the pigs, man. We got your money, and you can have it. But you gotta kill me first. Hey, just stick it in. Man, money's yours. So come on. You got what it takes, Bob? You got what it takes to kill a man? You're crazy. I never tried to be anything else. So come on. Twist and turn, baby. You people are out of your minds. You can keep the money. And Linda. She's one of us. She's not yours to give. Thank you so much for listening to season four of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.